for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. What do you get when you take a couple of bros who just want to spend some quality time together in a barn without being disturbed? Another episode of the premier podcast on strength and conditioning featuring the crew. You asked about training rowers and rugby players in the offseason. You wanted to know what our ride or die playlist consists of. And you're coming to terms with the fact that your children are quickly ruining your life. John, Luke, and Tex respond to these questions and give a few confessions of their own in this week's episode. When inquiries regarding equipment come up, the fellows give you their preferences for loading and progressing with different implements. And what are the three criteria for being a, quote, good guy? Find out the prerequisites for not being a giant asshole. This is episode 258. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again. Another week of local weather in Austin, Texas. I don't know. I mean, featuring John Wellborn, Chris McWilkin, and Luke wait, wait, Summers. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I thought this was the Power Athlete Podcast with Chris McQuilkin, Luke Summers, and special guest John Wellborn. Yes. No, that's next but, week. That's special guest we are recording next week following Eggfest. This is our pre-Eggfest show. Mm, amazing. Listen, we have a cliffhanger out there. These people need to know. What is the weather out here in Austin, Texas? I'd say cloud cover is minimal. High cirrus cloud cover, high altitude well, clouds. Well, it was in the high 40s, uh, low 50s this morning when okay, we got up at 6. But right about now, I'd say it's a comfortable 70 degrees. It's beautiful. Beautiful. UV index, likely high. So watch out. Be sure to put the SPF 15. That means every 15 minutes, people. 15, that's pretty weak. Yeah. yeah Tex wears uh, 100. Yeah. It's what babies wear. That's fine. I'm, yeah, I want to stay pale. Well, it's good. I mean, you have all that body hair to break it up, which is nice. This is a genetic adaptation because, you know, skin cancer runs in my family. So epigenetics, John. Epigenetics are making you hairier. Yeah. For protection from the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. UV, that high UV index that people need to be weary of in Austin, Texas today. But here's the thing, people. It doesn't matter because by the time you listen to this, oh this God. weather is gone. No, it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot, hot, hot. Like, you know, uh, Kate and I joke just like... Um, Game of Thrones with like winter is coming. We're mm-hmm. like, summer is coming. And it gets fucking hot. <laughs> Last year, sure. our first year here for a uh, legit Texas summer, we decided, hey, you know what? We can get some work done outside. So, Luke, mm-hmm. let's start at like 6 a.m. and let's yep. take some fence posts. Mm-hmm. And by 11, we're like, I think we're going to die. We yep. got to get out of here. Now, we usually finished up around 1.30 or 2. Then Tex would show up at 2.15 yeah. on the dot. Like, oh, you, you guys are done we're like you don't have any work clothes you're wearing your uh your nanos oh those are work shoes the blister because he shows up only when the work is done mm. <laughs> the only guy i've seen that that work boots are nanos tells you how hard he's working well they or, were free and i want to beat him up yeah i understand i understand the rationale however i don't think they're a super effective work boot wait till you drop like a 20 pound caster on your toe mm-hmm. and you're like thank god i was it, it broke my toe but thank god it didn't fucking slice it off because i'm wearing fucking leather work boots mm-hmm. just saying He's not saying, he's just saying. Do you know what he's saying? Know what I'm saying? Okay, people. Weather, weather report's over. This is another t- uh, episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning, Power Athlete Radio. Uh, I guess what we could talk a little bit about is Summer Strong, even though I just found out it's sold out. What? Yeah. Did we get tickets? Yes, we did. Okay. So I don't know what to tell you, people. You snooze, you fucking lose. But I would be hell-bent. Uh, if they don't start putting some content out after this sucker gets wrapped up 
after the weekend of, what is it, May 18th and 19th. That's yeah. the weekend of Summerstrong, yes. And uh, so keep your eyes peeled on Sorenex's account because they have a fucking epic lineup. We're going to be there. It's going to be a party. The cool thing is we're rolling with a crew of five people, right? It's pretty legit, and we got our Airbnb. And John picked the smallest one. <laughs> it's a uh, two bunk bedroom. beds. But two it's bedroom, also the closest. One, one king bed for guess who? Fucking Baba Ganoush. And then the four fucking honky tonks are going to be rolling in in double bunk beds in that other bedroom. But it's Text, a cool it's place. It's going to be fucking awesome. No, it's a yeah. snore den. Hey, buddy. I'm I got out. dibs on you, top of. You can sleep with me. Thanks, John. Whoa. Yeah. That violates my stay outside 76 inches of John Wellborn's reach. Policy. I'm going to bring an air mattress for the Airbnb because snores. I can't. I well, can't you that. got Summers and, and uh, Harry Shaw fighting it off for the fucking who cuts Chainsaw. the most wood. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. You got to put Harry Shaw and Nick Kyosho oh, in the same fuck, room dude, and see kid. who can actually sleep. Those guys. Unreal. That was even rough for me. But uh, at that point, you just stand over him, smother him with a fucking pillow. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested, <laughs> I, you know, I guess go to Summer Strong. Maybe they're going to come out with a second round of tickets. I'll have to hit up Josh. And uh, see no, you I know what? It. They they're wanted to peel uh, it back. Yeah, they wanted to peel it back. It got too big. They felt that it. Uh, they lost a lot of the intimacy, and mm-hmm. so I know they, mm-hmm. they peeled the numbers back. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, it was still was epic last year, but I can see where they're going for with what we're doing with the symposium, right? Uh, but anyways, SummerStrongExpo.com to check it out or follow them on social, man. It's uh, we're we're proud to be a part of this event. Uh, with all that said, though, why don't we just jump into it? Here's how this thing works, people. We went to Instagram, put out a video post for you all, and we asked you to put comments into the comments, questions into the comments, and then we're going to answer those questions to the best of our abilities. Right, Tex? Yes, sir. So, without further ado, what question would you like to open up with first, Question Master? Well, we are the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, so we have to begin with the strength and conditioning question here. All right. This one's for John. What is one coaching quality you feel strength and conditioning coaches must develop? For example, great program design, ability to make meaningful connections with their athletes, or be able to recite all the science of the Krebs cycle. Oh, man. Um, If coaching was just about sets and reps and numbers, then uh, it would just look like a bunch of bookworms and a bunch of ideas. I mean, uh, the worst program that I've seen applied well is better than the best program poorly applied. So with that in mind, I think a coach, and um, I really get into this, and anybody that's heard me speak at the uh, seminars we've done over the number of years has heard me always say, uh, I am not a coach. Uh, I am just a good athlete who is able to work and help other athletes progress. And the reason being is a coach, someone like a Rafael Ruiz, allows you to be a better version of yourself, of, allows you and empowers you to do things that you don't think that you can do. When I trained with Roth, I remember him asking me to do things and being like, there's no way I can pull this off. And somehow I did. And uh, Raphael worked with me for a number of years and I wanted to be uh, better to prove him right and also do things to prove him wrong. And so we had a great relationship in that way. So I think making a meaningful connection with your athletes and 
pulling something out of them that they're not able to pull out of themselves. Um, it's not about sets and reps. It's not about being able to recite the Krebs cycle. It's really not about, um, you know, being able to do anything other than be technically proficient to coach the lifts and connect with your athletes on a deeper level. So agree. And, for- and don't sleep with your clients. Agreed. That's another big one. Or your, or your athletes. But here's where, like, man, I wish we had more info, right? So strength and conditioning coach, like a young Blake Willis, trying to get a job with a collegiate strength program or someone in the private sector who's like, John, I think that's kind of where we're talking from, right, is someone in the pri- private sector who's running their own gym and has the freedom to do that shit. No, I think in a collegiate strength and conditioning situation, uh, Texas done it. I mean, us having been in it, uh, the strength coach that can make the connection the fastest um, because not everybody's impressed with sets and reps. I mean, sometimes you get some cerebral dudes that when you wrap with them a little bit about, you know, uh, muscle contractions and firing motor units and efficiency and this, I mean, there's some guys that connect on that level. A lot of guys don't give a shit. They just want to be better versions of themselves and be like, all right, I trust you. Now, why do they trust you? Because one, you're looking out for their best interest. Um, you're not going to put them in a position to look like an asshole. So you're, you know, you're protecting the ego a little bit, but pushing their ego enough. And uh, what guys really look for is somebody that's not going to be uh, really sell them out. So, you know, a strength coach is going to come in, make them work, accept a lot. But at the end of the day, it has their back and they feel like, hey, man, this is a guy who's genuinely interested in making me better and helping me progress. And I want to highlight one of the notes that John just said, looking out for the athlete's best interest. And that is a skill in itself, because in the world of strength and conditioning at the college level, it's every place is a stepping stone. Which yeah, is unfortunate. Uh, you know? Yeah, well, it, it is. You know, I mean, guys realize, uh, especially in a you know major Division One setting, that they they serve at the at the leisure of really the head coach. Yeah, they're the servant of the coach, right? Yeah. Who is uh, who's well, our guy? So, so you can servant be the, or you can be the best strength coach in the world, and the head coach gets fired, and they bring in a new guy. What's he going to do? He's going to want to bring in his guy, and you're out of a job. So here's something. You know, you've gone in, you've worked with these guys. You know, they've busted, they've sweat, they've grinded, they've you know, lived in blood and sweat and tears, and you know, because uh, you're not able to convert wins, you know, a guy gets fired. And next thing you know, you're on the street, even though you did an amazing job because the head coach, you know, wasn't able to convert on it. So I think with a strength coach, those guys are always looking for to kind of move up the ladder because they know that it's, you know, they really serve at the leisure of the coach. But my point is that's assuming you're there. What if, for example, you don't have the job, then it's a different, it's kind of a different set of requirements, isn't it? Well, I mean, the, the way you get a job, uh, especially as a young strength coach, is you know you come in as an intern and you prove yourself to be a you know a valuable resource. You do what you're told. You work with the players. You connect with them. You bust your ass. You work long hours. And then when the head coach or when that strength coach, uh, you know, gets in a position where a assistant leaves to go to another program, then you just promote up, or he gets canned and you go with him. So it's kind of a you know. I feel like it. And it's I'm, it's I'm, just, I'm just like coaching. Shit. I'm it, making shit up. It's just like it's just like football coaches. Mm-hmm. You, but you, there may be a point where you need to have the technical aptitude because that's important to whoever's running the show. Well, but if if let's say you're in, the, let's say this cat runs their own gym, right? Uh, Trevor Sheasley. Let's say they own their own gym and they have the freedom and they are the boss. They're not like. I'm with you on connection, right? Because if you get an athlete to buy in, there is no magic program. There is no magic Krebs cycle. Who Everyone's different. Everyone's the same. But at the end of the day, if you can get hard work, the yeah. move to dirt mentality, right? Consistency, buy in, 
then you're going to fucking, the program's going to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, uh, I think the education piece and having a knowledge of, uh, you know, Krebs cycle and a lot of these things is great and practical, you know, deal because it gives you boundaries. It helps you understand what to do and what not to do. Right. Uh, it's, it's the guardrails yeah. ultimately, right? You know, it's like, um, case in point, uh, the CrossFit gym that my wife trains at, she comes home and talks to me about the programming every night. Hey, they did this and this and this. What do you think of this? And they were doing a workout yesterday. I think they had like seven wall walks, like reverse wall walks, like, uh, you know, for five rounds. She's like, do you think seven's too many? I'm like, yeah, in our experience, um, doing seven wall walks per round is pretty egregious. And, and if you notice anytime I do any field strong or I do any cross or, uh, um, any programming on our, on our deals, if I do wall rocks, wall walk, wall walks, it's yeah. usually like a five, four, three, two, one. Mm-hmm. Cause I know as you go and well, you get fatigued in this, I can remember an old CrossFit football workout. This has to be 2012. I know exactly what you're talking about. 21, 15, nine wall. body weight, bench press, reverse wall, wall, wall walks. walks. <laughs> and I know and this. fucking Corona did it. And uh, remember, it took him like, he's like, dude, that one took me 56 minutes. <laughs> uh, I know this. Um, but but here, here's, here's no, where I, it comes down to the guardrails. Uh, we used to like put this shit up on the board yeah, and be like, like yeah. let's do it. And I remember doing 21 wall, wall walks, reverse wall walks, and thinking to myself, my whole world's going to fucking end. <laughs> Uh, just for the mere fact that like I had to kick down after, yeah. you know, and yeah. it was too many. So I got to the point where it was like five, four, three, two, one. That uh, sounds good. Yeah. yeah. And then like uh, dumbbell hang power cleans for 10 reps, five rounds. And I remember doing like a little bit of conditioning like that and realizing that on the first round, five is attainable. Mm-hmm. On the last round, that single, yeah. like it's just, it, it, it kind of like, uh, it just gets to a point where you get fatigued towards the end of things and you don't want to put somebody in a position where they potentially can hurt themselves. So, but, but that also, there's no book about that. There's no, uh, I can't open super training and it talks to me about muscle fatigue with reverse wall walks. That's, uh, me understanding and having a practical understanding of not only the science of it, but also having done the fucking training. Bingo. Right. Like, uh, you know, so I think that, that you have to almost kind of blend this, uh, you know, Professor Keenbean with a practical side where, hey, I know what I want to do and I know what I can do. And they kind of like have to marry in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think we did a fantastic job of setting up with the methodology course, essentially a base level of knowledge in which you are prepared to step into the weight room, but at the same time, Connecting with a program that you should be applying as you progress through the course so you can start to see this stuff unfold and you'll realize in real time after you practically apply it what science base is essential and you know well, what what you should know but not necessary to be as successful in. I think what coach. we saw was um, really a deficiency in the way that people were getting educated in strength conditioning. Right. They were kind of going through a deal like, hey, I want you to memorize all this information, i.e., you know, NSCM, and I want you to, you know, regurgitate back to me and give me this. And then, uh, you know, you just on your own design your program. We looked at a difference and said, hey, you know, here's our base level, something like bedrock, basically in your progression, five lifts, master, uh, mastery of movement, consistency, and let's just progress it. And then we wrote in the physiology and the understanding so that they could do them in parallel. So as things are happening in real time and they're seeing the training, they're understanding the pieces. Yeah, they can see yep. it and, and earn, earn, their, stu- earn yeah. their stripes, right? And then as they get into the block two with like the next level of programming, something like field strong, limiting factors. And adaptation, Adaptation, driving 
having adaptation, figuring out if you need to increase, uh, you know, central nervous system efficiency, increase, um, you know, cross-sectional size of a muscle. I mean, looking at hypertrophy, I mean, trying to, you know, do a concurrent training model, really dropping all these things in in pieces and realizing when you need to apply each one. But with all that said, going back to your original point, you know, we give the parameters so that you can almost autopilot keeping your athlete's best interest at heart, right? Without, without even knowing it, kind of the, I'm using guardrails. I don't know if I like that yet. It's more like bumper rails on a bowling alley because we want you to find a kind of ping pong off of it, but it goes hand in hand, right? So you need to have the, you, you need to have the technical side, but you need to have the adaptive side, right? So you just kind of work with both. So I think asked and answered, right? Fuck. That was a lot. All right. Sticking with strength and conditioning, and this applies to high school athletes and the novice, trap bar versus barbell deadlifts. Mm. I feel, this is from Waz P. Fit, I feel trap bar puts kids in a more natural athletic position. I need direction, please. Well, if we look at the loading of the bar, so a trap bar will... When you grab your handles, it's really in the center of your mass. I cut, you know, slice yourself down the middle center of gravity, whereas the deadlift is out in front of you. So it's a different pattern in terms of loading. And if you look at the position of the start, uh, the trap bar deadlift looks like the bottom of a squat, kind of upright vertical torso, mm-hmm. yep. knees in a good position, and they can kind of pull up. Whereas the deadlift takes more skill because the bar's out in front of you and you have to almost pull it back, drive the knees back. Uh, is a trap bar deadlift easier to teach? Yes. Uh, can most kids step in, get them into a good position and pull the bar off the ground? Yeah. Uh, does the deadlift take more technical mastery? Yes. Are they two different movements? Yes. Can you execute the trap bar deadlift to best replicate a barbell deadlift? You similar mechanically, sim- similar mechanical loading. You can. The only problem comes down to you have no guardrail. So if you pull mm-hmm. the bar tight to your shin as you pull that sucker in, your legs become kind of the guardrail to get you into the proper position. Whereas uh, there's, it's it's yeah, harder. Yeah, you can get too far, yeah. too far behind your your base of support. Uh, I like them both uh, personally. I do not bar, uh, trap bar deadlift anymore. Um, because years ago with Jeff Gonzalez, as I was doing trap bar deadlifts, we were trying to do like a max rep set at like, I want to say 495. And on the last rep, I dropped it at the top. It came out of my hands. The bar came down, the back hit first, and then spun the front forward and uh, broke my big toe. I remember that. And uh, I was like, I'm fine. And as my toenail, when my toe was filling with blood, we went to Hogue and they had to like basically burn a hole and I cracked my toe in half. So, um, Ever since then, I've been a little apprehensive or being like, I'll do this in steel toe boots mm-hmm. or find that jiggy one that doesn't have a front piece in it. Yeah, the oh, in, yeah. tech one. I'd love to get one of those. I would love one as well because then we can step up and lunge and do magical things. Why don't we contact them and see if maybe we can demo it? Literally, well, they are John? avid listeners. Ooh. So boys, hit us up. Hit <laughs> us up. We would love to play with one. No, 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 no. Uh, sorry, guys. There's three of us here, Goose. Uh, we need to play with three. Lucas, so we'll ask for three and we'll get one. <laughs> if we ask for one, they're going to send us a picture. John, yeah. don't let everyone know the secret. So button up the question, can a trap bar be executed like, uh, like our mission of the barbell? Yes, but kids, we know limiting factors for novice athletes, one of which is biomechanical efficiency. Just because they can do it properly doesn't mean they will. And they'll default, water will find its level, and most likely it'll look like a trap bar squat. Yes. 
Um, you can RDL with a trap bar pretty well. Um, the other thing people forget about is they always really look at poles and they kind of focus on the leg piece. Whereas I never really looked at the deadlifts as much as a, uh, leg piece, as much as a back, like up, like upper back kind of mm-hmm. posterior chain glute kind of deal. That's why I remember back in the day, we used to squat on a Monday and deadlift on a Tuesday and people would be like, you're training legs two days in a row. I was like, dude, I never viewed the deadlift as like a leg exercise. And maybe that's just my anthropometrical Mm -hmm. ratios allows me to be a little more upright. But for me, the deadlift and my limiting factor in the dead was never my legs. It was always an upper back kind of a a erector glute kind of thing. So I think of uh, that as (laughs) more of a limiting factor. All right, let's stick with the high school athlete. We have Michaela. I'm a high school rowing coach, and we are approaching the off-season. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on how to attack the off-season to set these kids up to be strong athletes on and off the water. My goal is definitely to get them moving some weight and learning how to create speed. Just hoping y'all might have some insight as to the best way to go about this. Well, I did work with a three-time gold medalist rower. Olympic gold medalist, Erin Cafaro, back in the day. So is that, should they follow her program? Uh, the program I wrote for her was a basic bedrock type program, basic barbell movements like squat, press, bench, deadlift, and row. So even though she was an Olympic candidate, due to her training age, you're telling me that you started her on with a basic barbell. program? Yeah, Kelly Starrett. What the uh, fuck, John? Are you sure? Kelly Starrett hit me up and said, hey, can you help Aaron with some programming? And so I sent her down some basic stuff because... I think the problem comes down to when people, especially in a sport like rowing, which is, you know, if you ever watch people row, uh, real, you know, uh, constantly in a shitty position, they're in this kind of like, you know, everything from uh, extension to flexion, and it's, it's real upper rounded back. So as I looked at what they were doing for their specific training on their erg and in the boat, I just didn't feel like I needed to replicate that in the weight room. So the majority of their races are extremely, you know, lactic acid threshold type stuff, you know, very glycolytic, uh, you know, the longer ones even more. And we looked at just doing some basic barbell movements and just getting her stronger and moving better with these basic planes. Because if you think about it, it's uh, bilateral hinging over and over and over again with a big pull. And um, I just didn't want to overload the movement pattern and just wanted to be nice and efficient. So we just did a basic linear progression, and she ended up doing really, really well. Yeah, I went to, uh, my first, first collegiate team was Georgetown Women's Crew. And so mission there was simple, get them not in better shape, but more athletic. So we went to the lunge, we went to the step up, and we just taught them how to squat for the first time in their athletic careers. But we'd set up in that universal athletic position and then just did a lot of different planes of motion, right? Twisting, bending, jumping, teaching them how to land, and that carried over to the boat. So that whole off season was dedicated to just athleticism, through a bedrock template and throwing in the the lunges and the step-ups twice a week. And we had just great results. And I'll tell you what, freaking healthy and enjoying training again versus the grind because freaking early mornings for rowers weigh on you. All right. I want to get into music here because we were asked a great question. We had a conversation in training this morning. So do it, Tex. M. Fratus Ryder. I'd said that fast because I don't know how it's pronounced. But your phone has a seizure while playing music during your training session. 
your Spotify playlist loops one song on repeat. Repeat. What is your song? Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, the Power of Love. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. That's the one. That's your one. Uh, the one. So uh, these two donkeys that I'm sitting next to when I come in the gym this morning are listening to like uh, indie love jams. Uh, uh, it Texas just, boner jams. Oh God! I just like I've never feel like I. I personally, when I walk in the gym, I want to feel something like a little bit of aggressive. I want to feel something a little bit upbeat. And when I come in and I'm having to sit there and listen to... What about Bruno Mars doesn't uh, fucking make you want to rip some weight off the ground? Uh, No, and I'm trying to remember who the other one was before that. I mean, thank God it wasn't Meatloaf, but it was some... Well, I was going to give my one song is Meatloaf out of the frying pan. You can't tell me that doesn't get you pumped up. Have you ever been pumped up? Yeah. Are you pumped up right now? This. Ah. <laughs> uh, I mean, like. What do you got, John? Ah. Uh, uh, my mean, real answer. Do you want to know what my real na- answer is? What? Slipknot duality. No uh, question. I like that. Um. Ah. Uh, but here's the thing. As a joke for everyone else who will eventually break Huey Lewis in the news, the power of love, and I will fucking outlast everybody. I can listen to that song a billion times on repeat. But everyone will eventually break. That's how we got that intern Nick to quit. Yeah, that's true. Remember I was making him clean the fucking gym I mean, for symposium? And I, it's that what song was on repeat, and he's like, I'm fucking out of here, man. I can't handle it. I like... Uh, <laughs> that was the reason. It is I, now. I do, like Mar- I do like Marilyn Manson, like Seven Day Binge. I like... Um, uh, just... I want to hear something aggressive. Like, I want to hear something like... I want to hear Sabbath. I want to hear... Uh, something like, you know, even Queen Fat Bottom Girls, like the opening of that one, like uh, like something that I can like f- feel the darkness a little bit. Like I'm not looking. I'll for- go with the darkness. Good call, John. I like the darkness too. Uh, I can go, but here's here's the deal, Tex. See, those things aren't aggressive to me though, John. I mean, I'm just saying from my perspective. Yeah, like- but there's aggressive and then there's passionate. I'm going passionate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... Go. I like double bass pedal. I like some uh, I'm, I'm with screaming. you. I like some shit that, like, when you show up to the show, you're wearing earplugs, and you better be ready to fucking be in the fist fight of your life. Like yeah. that's to me, that's aggressive, dude. We had a guy on the CrossFit football, or not CrossFit football, but uh, on Train Heroic. I want to say was your Field Strong or Jack Street asked like, we seem to be doing a lot of close grip bench press. Is there any reason that we keep doing these close grip bench press? And one of our avid listeners is like, I think the close grip bench press is, has more carryover towards sport and rock shows, as I remember John saying. <laughs> and I commented on there and I was like, many moons ago, I was at a disturbed show in Kansas City and got the chance to get out there and uh, mix it up with some of the locals and use my 500 plus pound close grip bench press and and, uh, compensatory acceleration in terms of moving and speed, short distances, to uh, clean the pit out and stand there in the middle and nobody would enter. And from that moment, uh, and then the best part is, is one of the guys from the local newspaper was uh, was in the balcony and there's a picture of me with my shirt off in the middle of the pit and nobody's in the pit just standing there waiting. And, uh, <laughs> and like there's this picture and it was just like up in my locker when I walked in the next day and it was like with like a picture, like a little arrow. And it was like, who is this? And I looked and he's like, 
I've never seen anybody clear the pit out like that. Nobody would even enter it after you got done. And I was we like, got to find this photo. That's a wall of fame. Photo. Uh, I might have it somewhere. I, maybe I, I, I might have it somewhere. I got to look for it. But uh, epic. Uh, it was a good deal. And uh, ever since then, the close grip bench press has been the preferred horizontal press for power athlete. And that's awesome. All right. So do we get John's song? Did we get we got a, a rack of John's? Uh, I'd like artists. to go with either Marilyn Manson Seven Day Binge or the uh, Yodeling Kid. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to go uh, straight out of Compton. Oh, all right. Or uh, Hundred Miles and Running by NWA. Fucking Tupac can't see me. Oh, mm-hmm. any Tupac? <laughs> big Tupac fan. There you go. See, Tex, what was your your one was I'm meatloaf, meatloaf. The out of the frying pan? Okay. All right. I just now is the time that we mentioned that Texas is looking for a date. Here's the problem with meatloaf, (laughs) right? Oh my God, what? Uh, He's got bitch tits. That is, he's acting like uh, he's got bitch tits. Cornelius, I thought you died. It's a movie, John. I go Tuesday nights. Listen, I'm not, I'm not questioning the man's ability to maybe generate these ballad type tracks and music and and that it relates to a certain type of person uh i'm questioning whether or not that type of shit is appropriate in a fucking gym no where you're gonna shake some plates and it's also not appropriate in an 86 chevy k30 62 diesel on 37s and four inches of lift Mm. on your way to do you know what drink do you know what's appropriate at that point like the only thing like when i get in that truck all i really ever want to hear is fucking ted nugent I don't know why. That's pretty much like I want to hear Cat Scratch Fever or something as I'm fucking blaring down here in the, the uh, clack, 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 fucking familiar rod knock of a 6.2 uh, Detroit diesel. So, I mean, we all have our tastes. I mean, when he says, what is it? Uh, I heard the pussy purr with a stroke of my hand. <laughs> He's talking about a cat. Yeah, no. that's uh, that's I mean, dude, <laughs> yeah, I Cat Scratch Fever. Yeah, Cat Scratch Fever. Right now, Callie's throwing up. No, it's perfect. This is very valid and important type talk. Uh, I mean, I, I'd even, I mean, dude, anything Metallica base. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Master of Puppets, Battery. I'm, an, uh, I'm okay with Metallica. Uh, uh, you yeah, know. Nothing else matters. Nothing I else matters. I agree with that particular I also, track. that's insinuating that something matters. That nothing matters. No, no, no. I also do like their rendition else. of Whiskey of the Jar, which mm-hmm. is one of my yeah, favorite oh, ones. Yeah. So, what is the else? That's my question. So the one thing that matters is that nothing matters and no. nothing else matters. No, <laughs> nothing so matters. Nothing matters because nothing is something in that definition, even though nothing is nothing. See, John gets it. Yeah. What the fuck? Text. What's, Carry what's wrong on. with you? Moving forward. Dude. <laughs> you, moving forward for, for our listeners. You've lost. Now, when I say that in that truck like Ted Nugent, I don't mean damn Yankees. I mean like old school Nuge. Or like Molly Hatchet, uh, I'll go with Leonard Skinner. I'll go with any type of Southern rock. You don't even know who Molly Hatchet is. I don't. I know Kid Rock. <laughs> ba with the Ba. Fuck. Actually, that's not a bad one either, dude. Uh, when is the last time you've just John? When's the last time you heard Ba with the Ba? Uh, it's been a long time, but I can picture the cover of the album in my head with him. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. Dude, I'm getting goosebumps. That's track fucking shreds. I'm a Kid Rock fan as of today. As of today. All right. <laughs> Hit At text. least you didn't say Fred Durst. Oh, God. Dude, break some stuff? Uh, give me something to break. I'm putting it on. Never up. a Fred Durst fan. Um, what about Limp Biscuit? Not a Limp Biscuit fan right, either. All right, barrel forward. People don't give a fuck anymore. That We killed that one. Go. All right. Back to training. 
Ah. And this is probably an old school Balboa question in the cross football Balboa. All right. <clears throat> For a general population client or trainee who just wants to be strong and capable. What are your prescriptions for conditioning? Mm. Times a week, types. Asking for myself, but also as a trainer at a gym who's looking to amplify the programming of the class. I have already infected the warm-ups with the dead bug and all the iterations of the lunge that I picked from Field Strong. Nice. I think if, in terms of like, a, as I kind of, get back and I actually had this conversation with Rob Wolf last week we were talking about like you know just some basic programming it, you know like Rob has a you know pretty spartan setup at his, at his ranch up in Reno and uh, you know we kind of always get into this like if you had to go to the to a deserted island mm-hmm. with like your small your box of, yeah like with your small box of equipment like what like what would you want you want like a rack uh, barbell um, you know what, like before I would have never put kettlebells or any of the center mass bells in it, but I've really come to really see the importance of those. And at the end of the day, I think something like a sled or a prowler, I think just being able to push something heavy, even if it's not fast, uh, is extremely metabolically challenging. Um, I have designs. Um, you guys have heard me talk about this and I actually just acquired a piece of equipment. We need to make it happen to make something like the CrossFit pig, like they used at the CrossFit games a bunch of years ago. Mm-hmm. So I got an idea on how to redesign it and kind of make it a little bit better for uh, our use. But we got this big hill in the back of the gym, uh, you know, at the building. I don't know if you guys saw any Instagram videos. I had the guys dragging a log up it with this insane chain that we found at this like wrecking yard in Houston. But I think I'm going to retire the chain. I'm going to build this piece of equipment and I'm going to make people flip that sucker up that hill. Easy day. And I think something like, something like that in that conditioning uh, would be absolutely awful. So I would say, you know, this goes back to our original programming talk where we would put guidelines up for people, mm-hmm. like those types of prescriptions. So <clears throat> if you find yourself on any given, let's say you're doing one, two, three, or four movements, is he asking specifically for like Metcon? Well, we can always go with whatever. So here's the thing. Every, tra- every day you train, you should have some sort of set rep cadence, like a traditional strength work, mm-hmm. right? Like a, either a ascending to a five, a five RM, a three by five. I'm, don't, it's not always fives, but like some sort of traditional strength work in the primal movements, right? So a vertical push, vertical pull, horizontal push, horizontal pull, squat step lunge, right? That should be how you open your day. After pre-warm-up, warm-up, and warm-up shit that you're starting to get infected with via field strong. Then, I'd say you got... Callie always used to fucking joke with me, but alternating between a five to seven minute Metcon, I think that, like, a hard, heavy, suicide pace deal that if you're on a, a movement for more than 10 to 12 seconds, you're doing too many reps. Well, that's why I always added, um, you know, <clears throat> two or three. Like, I, I really like three three movements mm-hmm. in a short conditioning piece where, like, the majority of, like, I would say 50 to 60% of your conditioning days are usually at, I, I like, seven to 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in that deal. And then there was, like, what was that? I want to say it was, like, seven to 10, 10 to 12, 13 to 15 mm-hmm. were our three time domains. And it was, like, 60% or seven to 10, and then yeah. you 
split up the uh, you know 20 and 20 for the longer ones. And uh, we found that once we went outside the total 15 minutes of work, uh, it adversely affected our ability to follow a linear progression. So when we uh, first started using the linear progression back at Balboa all those years ago, uh, we were you know had everybody doing great, and we were using these kind of short, heavy, hard metcons. Everybody was you know going good, and then we threw like a 25, 30 minute workout at people Mm -hmm. and it smashed them to the point where nobody was able to add weight to the bar for like two weeks. And it took them about, I mean, literally 10, nine to 10 training days to get back on the linear progression. And then I just kept them like sub 10 minute, 12 minute, the occasional 15. And as long as I didn't go outside that 15, everybody got stronger and they followed the linear progression. And I would say the way we promoted people to work was never to like go to a set and use it as a recovery set. Right. If you were to pick up a kettlebell for a kettlebell swing, you would go to fucking try to rip, like break, break it. You know what I mean? And then as you're going to a pull up bar, let's say to get some strict pull ups or some weighted dips. Right. You're doing the walk. And then as soon as you grab on, it's time to go again. Right. Um, so I would say that like that's the prescription. And uh, as you know, how, how frequently did we exceed 20 reps? Like, very rarely. Maybe on kettlebell swings, right? You'd go up to 30. Um, but, yeah, but 30 swings, I mean, yeah, that's is like, less than... I mean, uh, when we would do the, min, the minute on, minute off for 30 swings, uh, you can pretty much get 30 swings in about 45 to 50 seconds. Right, and that I would say that is like the maximum. I would, I would stay on a movement, right? But uh, th- that's a fucking gnarly workout, too. So I'm going, and I'm still kind of in the Balboa days, right? Yeah. Now, if you, if you were to ask more, you know, what's our prescription now? It looks a lot more like throw and sprint. And then maybe like anything, if you're going to use your hips to do a push or a pull, like a, you know, cheater set of something or a push press or whatever you want to call it, um, fucking he- the heaviest dumbbells you got that you can handle and shoulder, right? Yeah. But all that derives from purpose. And I really like what you said there with the Balboa workouts and I, wish I could give that advice through all those seminars that we taught, I would definitely would have told people to position that way. Yeah. There's no movement that's going to be a rest, which derives from our conditioning purpose, right? Increased coachability, uh, mental toughness, and essentially camaraderie for a teammate and how we accomplish camaraderie. Now, Luke and I were forcing ourselves to do some condo to test out some things, but we're pitting it against each other in forms of different reactive sprints, races, or, just partner workouts and getting creative in that way to keep it engaging and interesting with the purpose mm-hmm. of... It was pretty funny. I was watching you guys do like the throws and the jumps and uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the horses were watching you. Oh, oh yeah. So, oh, so, so you guys like, so I'm um, here in Texas, our next door neighbor's got about 50 horses. And so they're like where the horses go from like the, where they are in the, in the pastures to, the to, to, to like where, yeah, where to like the, the feed and the riding and everything goes right by like our road and uh, right by where you know, the, the building is and Luke and Tex are out there jumping around, throwing stuff. And there's like five horses that are just sitting there watching them being like, Idiots. what are these morons doing? <laughs> it's uh, like a far side. It, cartoon. It's pretty funny. Like, uh, uh, horses are strange. And, um, I, you know, I've, I've been around them, but like now that I get to like observe them, they're pretty hilarious. Like they, uh, one, they're pretty, like they're pretty feisty and they're just funny animals. So, so did we answer that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Directionally accurate. Directionally accurate. All right, all right. Ooh. 
Willis, he, his ears were ringing. We just mentioned you, pal, and he te- he chimes in with a question here. And Blake asks, where does the strength coach end and the sport coach begin or vice versa? Well, I think it's when you get from general to general or to specific. Uh, the strength coach lives in the general, and he lives in kind of the general specific, uh, but not in the specific, which was a – could I call it a hierarchy or taxonomy or like, what would be the state Both that I created years ago? Um, I was trying my best at the CrossFit football seminar to figure out how to bridge, like, like how to like enter the conditioning portion of this. Cause I mean, if you think about like, where does conditioning fit in? And, uh, I just, you know, I looked at like any, like GPP to me is anything done within the confines of the weight room. So you have like general preparation, you know, that, you know, doesn't, really kind of I guess you could say like GPP's done within the confines like within the walls of the weight room and then you have SPP sport specific preparation or specific preparation and then like what was in the metal and there's this like you know GSP which was general specific preparation and I kind of looked at those pieces and I'm like okay you have your GPP you have your general this is like my barbell list my strength training everything I'm doing in the confines of the weight room then I have my specific work like which is what we would do in practice if I was on the field and we were doing pass sets and run blocking and we were doing our training on the field now very often in in our training we did conditioning pieces whether it be with barbells or without that fit within specific time domains yeah, time of domains, the sports right so Lanes like motion like, distances yeah we're, we're going to pick up something heavy and run with it for five to seven seconds you're going to drop it and rest for 45 and you're going to do it over and over again we're going to push the sled we're going to do this and this and so we would do this uh conditioning training with specific time domains so we were using general gpp general movements with specific time domains to kind of marry the two which is what football players have been doing since the beginning of fucking time. And I just needed a way to explain it to the CrossFit market in a way that made sense to them because they knew what GPP was. Mm -hmm. Ironically, when I first went in and I taught this, I was like, you guys all, yeah, everybody knew what GPP was. Not a single person had ever heard of SPP or GSP. And as I wrote them up, people were like, oh, I'm like, what did you think GPP was? And they were like, well, we thought it was CrossFit. And I was like, um... And then I give them the backstory about uh, Glassman didn't necessarily know what CrossFit was doing, but then when Rob Wolf explained to them GPP and what the West Side guys were using as it pertained, that was what really pushed them in that direction. Bingo. Yeah. Um, John, I just had a flashback to my 2009 seminar, and GSP, that was a term that, that jumped out, and light bulbs went off because I could see that see that line and you drew that line on the board literally sport and underneath sport it was you as a strength and conditioning yeah. uh, coach and at the time of the seminar I was a sport coach what yep. Tex is talking about ladies and gentlemen is the pyramid that was on that we yep. draw on the whiteboard when we talk about developing an athlete sorry Tex I wanted to no 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 at the tip of the pyramid is sport and then under that that tip of the pyramid exists a series of training responsibilities focuses. focuses domains well it's it, it's really the the stacking effect for what i like to call is my power my creation you know my building my power, power athlete, athlete. yeah i mean we got our foundational piece which is nutrition recovery and then we stack that up with our limiting. limiting factors and then we get into well back then it was like a barbell kind of body body weight kind of peel but now we kind of went to that like three-part keystone where it was uh 
body weight awareness. So we're looking at developing kinesthetic awareness. We're using barbell lifts both and dynamic movements, both we would call like barbell and Oli, which is really like dynamic and, and, you know, not slow, but like what you'd sit for more, you know, standard deal. And then that final piece, that keystone being speed as a, uh, you know, the overarching keystone that holds those both things together because speed is really what we're focusing on. And then up on that last piece, which is progressing up into sport. And I've had this conversation a lot, and I use that pyramid that you created, John, to paint the picture for a lot of sport coaches because one of the things is defending our approach, right? It may not look from an outsider's perspective like a lot of work, but again, our objective is athleticism working towards that sport. And how I described it is, right, sport coaches begin each offseason or at the beginning of each season with the fundamentals. Even at the professional level, I'm sure you can attest to, John, but what is strength and conditioning? It's teaching the fundamentals of the fundamentals. We're focusing on the primal movements, the squat, step, and lunge, and mastering that and improving our ability, our reaction, all the, the stuff within that pyramid, the components. And so fundamentals of the fundamentals is how I've been relating to the sport coach. And then if we create more coachable athletes who are more in tune, more powerful, more fast, then they're in a hell of a lot more position to be a weapon for the sport coach. <clears throat> but I think with all the the strength and conditioning coaches we've had on the podcast, that line is blurry depending on the organization you're at, right? Like where is it and where should it? And it is this it's Szymanski who we were talking about yeah, with yep. this, right? Lot uh, so the and we really grazed on this article that they a bunch of guys wrote servant or service the problem and a conceptual solution with regards to the relationship between the strength and conditioning staff of collegiate and professional ball clubs as it with the, the, the sport coaching staff. Right. And the problem becomes that the traditional relationship is you are a servant to the sport coach. Right. And you have to bend over and fit within their system. And maybe there is like some merit to that. Right. But then there's more of a progressive approach now where strength and conditioning staff can kind of operate independently if they needed to of the sport coach. I mean, would you say that's a fair assessment text? Absolutely. Like within the actual practice and science of it. Now, if they work together cohesively and it becomes more of a service base, then you have you would likely have better results, right? So, really, the line, but the the hard line in the sand, John, is what exactly what you're saying is like as you as you start talking position specific tactics on field for game day, you're talking sport coach. Yeah. As you're talking about the general approach to movement, athleticism, using the tools in the weight room. Uh, to best replicate the demands of the sport using the said principle specificity. Well, I think the easier analogy is my job is to take the tools that are in the toolbox and make sure that they're healthy, they're strong, they move well, and they're sharp. So I'm going to sharpen that, you know, sharpen the blade as, as sharp as I can so that when the craftsman or the skilled person comes in to use it, everything is working properly. Kind of yeah, like if, uh, you know, if, um, if I'm going to cut metal and my bandsaw is out of, uh, out of order and my blade's dull and all this other stuff, I can't cut my metal now. If everything's tip top and I turn it on and I use it and it slices right through, then I, then I, you know, I accomplish my tasks. So at the end of the day, it's not up to the strength coach to design what's going to be fabricated. It's just up to them to make sure everything is sharp, it's working well, it's plugged in, and it's ready to rock so that when the craftsman comes over, he can do what he needs to do. Boom. I thought it was a good one. Oh, yeah. Definitely a, a lot we can dive further into, but 
Hopefully, Blake, that answers your question. All right, I want to now get away from the sport and work with the tactical side. So we got Tim C., longtime supporter of Wade's Army and based out of Virginia. Big shout-out to him for coming by and donating to our Wade's Army lacrosse game, brought the family. And here is his question. He's on Jack Street currently. Hmm. He's a 38-year-old LEO. Jim has some bare bamboo and hurricane bars. How and why could I incorporate those into my Jack Street training? Um, I would use the bamboo bars on a Friday for things like pressing and for curls and just other kind of movements, maybe some skull crushers. Uh, not a huge fan of the hurricane bar for back squats or for pulling. Uh, the reason being um, I've just... <laughs> Uh, I think the risk outweighs the reward. Um, I definitely like it for uh, bench pressing. Um, You know, we use the bamboo bar pretty extensively. So uh, I'm kind of secretly putting together a rehab program. I don't know if you guys know, but it looks like I'm probably going to have to go get some shoulder surgery to stitch some stuff up that I tore a number of years ago and I've just been ignoring and kind of clean out some stuff. And as I've been sitting down kind of drawing up a shoulder rehab program, starting with isometric contractions with the bamboo bar and just being able to hold it out in front of me in terms of like laying on my back in terms of a good bench press position and just being able to hold it and stabilize is really where I'm going to start with. And I'm going to kind of take an approach based off the idea of I'm going to develop isometric contractions. And then once I develop stability and strength in my isometric contractions, I'm going to progress into it. And that's kind of how I'm going to rebuild this thing. So it's... um. Yeah, this shoulder injury's been no joke, man. I mean, I got to the point where I've been waking up. I mean, I, I wear this whoop band, and it only tells me how many times I wake up in a night, which right now is about anywhere from 10 to 15 times, which also includes kids coming down that tell me they have to go to the bathroom, dogs that come in and tell me they have to go out, and everything else that uh, keeps me up every night. But I think the shoulder has gotten to the point where if I roll over and move, it wakes me up, so i got to go get it fixed. So we do have a question similar <clears throat> to what you're facing right now, John. How do you get a wild eight-month-old baby boy to sleep? Easy. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you guys. Rumpelstiltskin. I got a system. Uh, <laughs> um, Can I predict your answer, John? Uh, you don't, and you well, fucking deal with it, and you pay yeah. your dues, and then 18 years later, you'll be fine. Yeah, you know what? Uh, <laughs> it's pretty interesting, right? Like, uh, these guys have, have seen me go through what I call, like, the baby fog, where, you know, you're just feel like you're a zombie for a long time. Eight month is a, is a pretty interesting deal. Cause if you think about, um, so I'll give you guys a little lesson on kids. Uh, everybody talks about trying to get the baby to sleep through the night. So when, uh, I found that when the baby reached about 12 pounds, uh, they started sleeping through the night because their stomach was big enough to be able to take in enough food to be able to sustain them through, you know, at least six hours. Right. So uh, when our girls got to be about 12 pounds, they all of a sudden started sleeping through the night. My boy was the same way. Um, The problem came to all of a sudden we lulled us into a false sense of security because they started sleeping through the night. We thought everything was great, wasn't too bad, you know, an occasional deal. And then all of a sudden teething starts. And when the teething started was when like that was like from like, I forgot like how even when that was, but they go through that for a number of years. And actually the teething to me is worse than the other part. So the big thing, especially for eight months is he probably in his teething deal, which means his teeth just ache and they hurt and he gets up and he cries and he's got his hand in his mouth. So I think, um, 
you just have to deal with it. You have to, you know, get them up. You got to walk them around, do whatever you got to do, soothe them, get them back to sleep. And you just deal with it as a parent and it's part of your rite of passage. Ironically, (laughs) uh, no, I mean, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Dave Tate posted a deal on his under the bar where he like posted a picture of his son and he actually said one of his biggest regrets was that when he had his boy, uh, he was training at West side and it was West side or die and everything was this. And he, you know, he was, he slept in another part of the house because he didn't want the child to wake him up and affect his training. And he, um, he kind of like, you know, he basically said, I, I regret for being that selfish. And, um, to me, uh, you can never go back and as a parent, you're right a passage of looking at your wife at three in the morning as you're holding kids, thinking to yourself, I'm so fucking tired. Uh, what are we doing up? This is awful. And it's just the right of passage that every parent has gone through and to avoid it and sleep in another room and just hoist that on your wife. Um, I, uh, when, when I read that, I kind of, I, I definitely uh, respect him for admitting that and telling him, uh, you can't go back in time. You'll never get that back. And, um, I, I realize everybody grows, but you fucked up dude. And, yeah, um, but- and then there's a massive fucking, like mm-hmm. as a parent, like I just kind of shake my head and think, man, if I'm ever like, I just don't understand that level of selfishness. Well, but you do not that you, but you didn't execute on it. Right. You've said many times when you were in your prime of your career, you knew the level of selfishness required, so you in, you intentionally stayed out of it, right? Yeah. And again, not, I'm not trying to cast stones at Dave. Like he he like you said, it's commendable that he he put yeah. this out there for in like for everybody to fucking read, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, understanding situational awareness, global your global awareness of this, if you know you're going to be that selfish, don't have kids. Yeah, but then you could also just you know letting the pendulum swing here. That's a great sacrifice to accomplish what he was trying to accomplish at that time, you know, so you could give kudos there, but then... So to go win a free t-shirt. Yeah, I'm with you, bro. But like, uh, but here's the problem. Somebody has to wake up with that child. So now it's your wife. Mm -hmm. And I know for like when we had twins, it was like both of us. I mean, my wife's been great, you know, with with Cash. Like if he cries or whatever, she'll like jump up before me. Um, You know, she's been, you know, a rock star in that way. And it's mainly because, uh, you know, I think like when we had twins, it was like her and I was like, you go, we go was our kind of whole joke. Like she'd hit me and she'd be like, I go, we go. And Mm -hmm. it was this deal where, um, you know, you're, you're in this heavyweight fight and it's, uh, it's been good. I mean, what's nice too is now our little boy's room is next to ours. So it's an easier commute. Whereas before we were like way down the hall and it was like, a you know, it's just, but I mean, that's the rite of passage, man. Like I, I would say, uh, the bonding of a parent with an eight month old child at three in the morning, trying to get them to calm down in the sense of accomplishment of one, getting them calm down and going back to sleep is you're like, I can solve any fucking problem. Mm-hmm. All right, just go back to sleep and then you lay down. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's a rite of passage and, uh, kind of like a getting dad fat. Like all of a sudden, like, like I got this fat on my back. I don't know where it's coming from. They're like, Oh, I remember Rob being, Oh no, that's called cortisol. <laughs> that's from not sleeping. That's called dad fat. And, uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, yeah. When the kids start Badge sleeping. Badge of honor at this point. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's good, man. Um, uh, being a parent is, uh, is pretty interesting. Like we were, like Kate was telling me, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, you know, having trouble husband, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, be married anymore and this, and they got a couple kids and she was kind of taking me through it. And, um, it's uh, the interesting thing, especially when you have kids is all of a sudden you realize that your time to be selfish is over. 
And the reason being is kids are the most selfish beings on the planet because they, you know, it's how they have to be. Mm -hmm. They don't have the emotional awareness to be unselfish. So it's like all they know, they cry, they want to be picked up, you know, this, and it's like everything they need is right now. And you kind of have to acquiesce to that a little bit. So then therefore it derails any, I guess you could say selfishness that an adult has. So I think about that in terms of like, um, and my mom always said this, she's like, when you have kids, your time to be selfish is over. It's their time. And, uh, just make sure that, you know, you're okay with that. Cause a lot of parents and a lot of people have kids and they're not, they're not okay with it. They still want to be selfish and do, let me having, having kids is a fucking selfless thing. Yeah. Got a system, yeah you'll bro. be fine. I got a system, but I guess one, I, a, just a, a nugget on it. top of that is don't, you'll have to mortgage other shit in your life to let, to deal with this stuff. Right. So if you are, for whatever reason, uh, following some sort of fucking like, comp training or hard charger high volume type of training i'd expect yourself to fucking implode and you need to find a system like you know that's why john fucking put grindstone together right it was basically his diary of okay here's how i survived my training and my children at the same time and even that at some point could be too much right so it's like what do you want to mortgage in that scenario well it's kind of like uh my wife gave up uh she really kind of put her training on on hold for years for years yeah and what was hilarious is she's like harry put that you know some like body you know body composition change thing kind of out there and you got to train five days a week and she was like hey can can i do this and i was like yeah so we kicked some money in on it and uh she is literally uh i was gonna laugh i think kate's dexa scan and her body fat is lower than yours luke Mm -hmm. i think she was like uh like low 11s and, uh, you know, she just like shredded up and like, you oh, know, yeah, she like looks great, man. Yeah. She squatted two ten, I think for like a triple or, or uh, five. Mm, so she's a, up to Texas strength. Uh, she was like, <laughs> Oh, I squatted two ten for reps. And I'm like at a 119 or 120 pounds mm-hmm. to squat two ten for reps. It's pretty, I mean, that's fucking really good. Savage man. Uh, so, uh, but like the thing about it is, is if you have trained for a long time, you have this massive base that you can go back to. Mm-hmm. So like this idea, I'm going to lose this and this, you just kind of look at it as a little detour. Like, you know what? I'm just going to survive and I'm going to be okay. And when all of a sudden these suckers are sleeping through the night and everything go back to normal, I can literally go back in this direction fairly easily. And it only took her a couple months so I think with that in mind, uh, I'm pretty excited to, one, get this massive golf ball size osteophyte out of my shoulder and try to get back into my training stuff. Boom. All right, shifting gears a little bit. So we got a guy, we'll call him Dutch, as in Dutch from Predator, right? So dude's going through special forces, or has passed selection, and is in one of the branches going through special forces. We have to kind of keep this. On the deal? Yeah. Uh, but basically, here's his struggles. He's been a loyal follower of Power Athlete, right? I mean, his, as far as he can go in terms of the education, so he's got basically our number on speed dial, hit us up, says he's being forced to go off the shelf with this SF strength and conditioning program, sure. right? Because uh, new guy, they got their whole, sure. uh, they have their whole strength and conditioning sure. deal. Um, you know, he's been following for six years our shit, right? And basically, he he's finding it hard to blindly jump ship and just trust his S and C guys with these S, this SF group. Well, here, I'm going to cut you off. Go. Yeah. Um, don't be that guy. That's okay. Yeah. Go in and do what they tell you. Keep your mouth shut. Even though if you think you know better, you don't want to be the dude that doesn't get on the ship, get mm-hmm. on the boat, 
the uh, hard charger, even if you know that uh, what they're doing might not be the most advantageous or might not be the best in terms of philosophy or methodology. Uh, that's the same thing. Like whenever a high school kid, like our parents, like, Oh, <clears throat> we want them to do your program. And the coach that, you know, I don't think that it's this or any of this. And, um, I'm always like, don't be that guy. Just do what they ask you. And they're like, Oh, and they, how do you know? Cause I was that guy, uh, mm-hmm, back in right. the day in high school, Jim Rundell was our strength coach. Gary Kimbrell was our head coach. And I, I was a Zangus guy. We were PV dudes. They closed our school. We went up to rolling Hills. Those were rolling Hills guys. And I, you know, trained with Zangus. And he was my guy and, uh, you know, they fucking lambasted me every day about it. And like, you know, you know, you need to do this and this. And, uh, we didn't really do their training program. And as a result, my head coach wasn't a big fan of mine. And, uh, if he could have derailed me, he probably could have, but I outsmarted him. So, Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, if you want to play a sport, do what is asked of you. Uh, you know, the idea of like, I got my own guy, I'm going to do this and this and this doesn't pay dividends for anybody. So my advice to this guy is, uh, just put your ego aside, show up, be a hard charger, even if you know it's not the best and just do what they ask you to do. And then all of a sudden one day you're going to be in a position to make a decision and then you'll do what's right. Um, power athletes aren't going anywhere. We're going to be here for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So don't worry. And this is one of those kind of detours, right, John? Just not even nearly as drastic. And this comes down a little bit to the curse of knowledge, right? Uh, The guys well studied on what we do has seen great results. It's got them this far in this process. And oddly enough, like a couple other guys in his class, power ethic guys, right? So um, I guess this is, so this, he's, he's a methodology guy, right? Block one coach. Play, Play the game. Yeah, and this is, I guess what I'm getting at is you have the methodology course provides you with these set of principles. And basically, here's my advice. You can kind of see it on the screen, John. You know, option one, empty your cup, shut up, do what they say, and apply the principles, right? Option two, create rapport first, be a good guy, then be sincerely inquisitive. Yeah. Which you can do kind of both of those, right? So when I went to Philadelphia Eagles, I showed up and it was a, a hammer strength program. It was a high intensity, one set to failure on the hammer strength. We showed up and it was like, hey, we're going to do this row of machines, this row of machines the next day. And that's what we did. And it was one set to failure uh, coming from a, you know, a powerlifting background. And then all of a sudden I'm in this like snatch clean and jerk Todd Rice, you know, dynamic movement prep in here. And now all of a sudden we're just basically running cross fields and doing this. <laughs> and I'm like what the fuck (laughs) this is like hell but what did i do i just kept my mouth shut did what they asked me to do worked my ass off and then was like after a short when i wasn't a rookie anymore and i you know came in and started whatever i remember saying like hey can i do some extra stuff would it be okay if i did some barbell stuff in this and they're like oh yeah okay we'll get this working you can go do this and -hmm. then after like my second year when i came back and started and did this and you know, showed up that whole off season and fucking crushed everything they wanted me to do, made a good rapport or whatever. Um, then all of a sudden, uh, in my third year, it was like, John, what do you want to do? And I was like, this is what I want to do. And they were like, great, let's go do it. But I had earned the right to do that. One, mm-hmm. I came in as a rookie. I started, I kept my mouth shut that whole off season. I did what they told me, went in and started, uh, played the whole season. And then by that third year, they were like, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Cause whatever it is, it's working. And these guys, you still have a relationship with. So mm-hmm. you develop a deep rapport and they value your knowledge, right? Even in their profession. Yeah. And they learned things from you. I'm sure you picked up a lot of pieces from them as well. So that I mean, could I, be I your still, relationship. Yeah, I mean, I still text with Kanabi all the yeah. time. Um, you know, Tommy and Wolf. Who, Lawrence Peabody? 
Uh, Canavy is one of my favorite people in the world. I'm a guy I would love to have to come to the symposium. Ooh, Ooh. Get it. Can you, are you gonna, I'm not going to remember uh, that. If we can get Canavy, the only problem is, you know, right, he's at right, Tennessee, right, right. so it'd be extreme. I mean, uh, by maybe, maybe, maybe. But if we could somehow Let's just float it, right? If we could golden get, ticket, if we could get the colonel, it would just be epic. I, I dude, Canavy is. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world. So, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna maybe hit a rant here real quick. Dutch, you'll like okay. this one. So just to review, folks. We gave I gave uh, Dutch a few options here. Empty cup. Shut up. Do what they say. Apply the principles. That's the beauty of the methodology course, right? Speaking of which, we have semester five open for enrollment, people. So if you right listen, now. you want right if you want that level of knowledge, hit it. P a h q dot c o slash p a dash academy. Get there. Uh, anyways, option two. Uh, create rapport first, be a good guy, then uh, be sincere and inquisitive, right? And then the option three was what you were talking about, John. You know, stonewall, question efficacy, and be an asshole, right? And a fucking text read an interesting quote uh, today on a different podcast from a different guest. Someone whose advice to fucking listeners was be an asshole, a nice asshole. And here's my response to that, dude. I think I'm a good guy. John, you're a good guy. Text, you're a good guy. We're a few good guys. If you're a fucking good guy, you don't need to be an asshole to get something done, right? Take the time, build rapport, and just be a fucking good human being. There's three things, three traits to being a good guy. One, don't fucking steal. Yep, that's our number one power athlete deal. Don't steal. Number two, don't sit back and do nothing. Uh, just like us driving in the car, if we're going to get lost, I'm going to get lost at a hundred miles an hour. And as I've told you guys, I don't know if I'm going the right way, but I'll put my foot on the accelerator and we're going to make a turn at some point, but we're going to go fast in one way. And guess what? We'll get there. Number three, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. That's it. That, those are the three fucking elements of being a good guy. And, and uh, oddly enough, the three principles of employment and working for power. Athlete. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do to keep your fucking job. Now, I don't know, and I'm trying to figure out when you need to be an asshole if you can't good guy yourself out of... I can good guy myself out of almost every fucking situation. Um, uh, okay, I I think... Um, I don't... Th- okay, I'll put it like this. I don't think there's ever a point where being a human, like what I mean, like not a fucking cyborg or not some fake Instagram douche, uh, ever benefits you in the in the long run now there could be a situation where you know being an asshole might benefit you kind of like in the short term like hey you know like you know case in point uh you know um let me think of uh us moving out of uh you know the monrovia places in costa mesa and the dude comes in and is like hey everything looks great and then we leave and we get a bill because they wanted to repaint the wall and Mm -hmm. charge me some exorbitant thing and i'm like dude you signed me off go fuck yourself. I'm not paying you this $3,000 because mm-hmm. you, you know, like that type of shit. And they send me a bill like in the, in the intermediate me being like, Oh, okay. Well, you know that like, no dude, you, you didn't do what you say you were going to do. You fucking signed. Everything looks good. And then you come back later. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I think being an asshole in the point where like people are trying to take advantage of you, I think makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to be taken advantage of. So being an asshole on that point, but at the end of the day, uh, and you guys know this about me, if I make a mistake and like, I will, like, even if it's a financial one or somebody's in the right, I'll take a loss so that I don't have, like, you know, I mean, we've run into people, right? Like, oh, I made a mistake, but I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have to give money back. I'm going to get, you know, this is going to financially affect me. But uh, so fuck them. I'm not Mm going to do it because even though I was wrong, it's going to financially affect me. For me, I look at it like I would rather uh, lose some money and 
make sure everything's fine and everybody's on the up and up. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, money I can make, integrity I cannot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like that kind of piece is 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 an interesting one. And I think you know when people look at like being an asshole, it usually comes down to like something with money where you know they have a situation where they can do the right thing. But they don't want to do the right thing because it's going to financially affect them in mm-hmm. a negative way. So what do they do? Be like, oh, well, I just had to be an asshole. No, that's called fucking being a douche. But I think, and listen, I'm not, I'm with Lester in that fucking, first off, ridiculous situation. I'm with you, John. And that whole organization, there's the fucking mafia anyway. So yeah. this is kind of a hard one. So I guess unless you're dealing with the mafia, right? You got to fight fire with fire. But what if, bear with me, what if every year Lester was coming to your fucking house for a Christmas party and like you were on good guy terms with Lester? You think he still would have fucking hemmed you up like that? Uh, I thought we were on good terms. And ironically, we would go to a Christmas party with the owner of that thing. Mm-hmm. Those guys, what they do, and it's because they're slumlords, is they take advantage and they do shit like that. Uh, you know, and they probably do it for tax reasons because they know they're not going to pay, but they just want to take the fucking deduction. Mm-hmm. So they're just doing it as a tax play. Uh, but those guys, uh, you know, they were pretty cutthroat. I remember old man John, how they booted him after he'd been running there for 35 years. Yeah, but John was a fucking asshole. He was a fucking asshole, uh, which is typical. And just like I told you guys what my mom said, the minute that old men start acting like old women, you got to cut them loose. And he like when people like get old and petty, remember that? And he was complaining about shit. He was complaining about us. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think on that piece, man, like uh, fucking Trico, man, those guys were. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and I've, you'll hear me say this. I mean, John, you've heard me say it in text. Like, assholes ruin everything. They fucking do. Assholes ruin fucking everything. It's the reason we can't smoke on airplanes anymore. <laughs> no, I, bad example. But, like, it's the reason there's fucking guardrails. It's the reason that there's all this shit we can't do is because some asshole fucked it for everybody. Well, I think that comes, I mean, in California, we saw it more. Uh, mm-hmm. like the amount of rights and the things that I'm able to do here in Texas is much greater than it was in California. Um, you know, like it's just seemed like the but fact slowly that slowly people assholes well, are going to be in Texas ruining this well, shit for us. We were hoping we were out in the country, but now it seems like the city has moved out to us with all this construction. Bunch I, of assholes. I just wonder the day that all of a sudden we go to burn a, uh, you know, a, like, I mean, we had a pretty massive burn pile and I'm wondering like all of a sudden these people move in and we're out there burning our burn piles and people are going to call in the police and the fire department. We're back in the day. Doesn't matter. We're good guys. Want to know why? We're going to call the fire department, yeah. do it by the book, and they're going to be like, eh, "Sorry, Dude, they got to approve burn." We had a small window for that burn, yeah, and we, we got we crushed it. it. So, anyway, so there's my tirade. I guess if you're dealing with the mob, be an asshole. But if you're fucking dealing with people and trying to be a contributing member of society, follow what was, the three principles. What was the context of the podcast you listened to? Oh, it was just a it was a moment, like an insta moment. Mm. Not a he didn't listen to the folio. Oh no, I don't listen to other podcasts because. When you are on the premier podcast. Yeah. Uh, but you listen to other podcasts. I mean, don't you? Not in the strength and conditioning realm. Freakonomics, right? What, yeah. what are your three? Uh, mixed mental arts, Freakonomics, and then Radio Lab or Dan Carlin. But he yeah. he's not as frequent as I would mm-hmm. like. But yeah, yeah there just you have it. learn something from different experiences. But no strength and conditioning. I do have a strength and conditioning question, though. Back to it. How much running... Would you do in the off-season, preseason for collegiate-level rugby athletes as well as what kinds of running would you do? Tempo, high-intensity, sprints, fart, lek, question mark. Uh, Yes, all the above. Um, I think uh, for, you know, the template that we follow, which is heavily Charlie Francis 
influenced, you're either running as fast as you can or you're doing tempo recovery runs. So I think there's also a conditioning piece for rugby that happens in the playing of your sport. Yep. So the conditioning, and you guys have heard me say this at nauseum, we would sprint and run the whole off season to show up and watch people gas out during the conditioning test or smoke the conditioning test. And then we would get out there and practice and everything would look great. And the minute that people threw the pads on, all of a sudden everybody was fucking smashed. And we'd go through training camp, and all of a sudden you'd be smashed for the first couple games, and then you'd develop your specific win for the game. And then one year we went back, and during the bye week, at like week 11 or 12, we ran the conditioning test again during our bye week. And it was amazing how many people did not pass. So they were in game shape, but not in conditioning shape. And I remember thinking, uh, if we're in the 12th week of the season... And guys can't pass the conditioning test, but have no problem playing in the game, playing at the highest level. What is the efficacy of the mm-hmm. conditioning test? And I asked, and the uh, like an asshole, right? No, and and I <laughs> and yeah, and, and I shot that to the strength coach. And I think it was Jeff Hurd, and Hurd was like, "Hey, the conditioning test is merely a checking of the box. Did you show up? Did you train? Did you prepare for the test?" If you pass, you get the check. It's kind of like going to the combine. Like very few people go to the combine unless you're like, uh, you know, Mike Mamula or one of these guys that goes out and fucking smashes it and you go from being a nobody to a somebody. And those, those definitely happen. But for the most part, when you go to the combine, they know who you are and they want to know that you show up and you're about who they expected you to be. Like, hey, this guy's going to do about 30 reps on the bench. He's going to run about this. He's who we know because we've been watching him for years. So what they're looking for people to do is a character issue of like, did you not train? Did you just fucking blow it off? Or, you know, this guy's a hard worker. We think he's going to do this. And he did 20% better. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like he's, he's ready. So uh, I think for a lot of these things, it comes down to, do you need to run fast? Yeah. Do you need to do your tempo runs? Yes. Do you need to do your rugby-specific conditioning by playing your sport and getting into a game shape? Yes. And we have built it for you. We did the hard work for you. So to answer that question, speed kills. Yep. So we get into acceleration, special capacity specific for your sport, the max effort, speed days, intensity. So we tackle every question that you asked in that one question within speed kills. And so that's it, ladies and gentlemen, that is a training program yes. offered to you by Power Athlete. So Power Athlete Speed Kills in the Google search will bring you right up. Easy. So I think we got time for one more. I've highlighted it. it. I've highlighted it. All right. Uh, nothing serious to ask. Uh, but what is, besides deadlifting for yours truly, of course, the most grueling exercise, combination of exercises, drop sets, supersets, uh, pre-fatigue stuff, blood flow restrictions, high volume squats you ever performed in the gym? Best meme page ever. Who wants to start? I'll start cardio. <laughs> no, no good? Uh, Fine, conditioning. I would say probably the single worst thing um, that I can remember in recent time was doing the the lactic acid threshold test, Mm -hmm. occluded. Yeah, no, I I was going to get to occlusion, dude. And you guys, and I did it by myself. So when I was uh, I, I, when I was messing with the occlusion thing, I went in there and I was like, you know what? Because uh, uh, t- uh, Inkadon was like, hey, uh, you know, you can do the uh, occlusion when you're doing some like you know like elliptical or maybe when you're on your assault bike. And I was like, you know what? What if I occlude and do the lactic acid threshold test? So at the end of the workout, and uh, I was by myself, uh, threw the bands on the arms and legs, and then did the lat test and. Um, 
it exponentially went to the point of um of awful and even you know and everybody knows you know when we at the symposium years ago when we had it when it was that little uh little power athlete pre-power or pre you know ranch we had everybody do that lactic acid threshold test which i want to say what is 30 seconds all out on the assault bike followed by two minutes of rest yep and we would do that five times and it was max calories so i knew like in my head i was like okay it's gonna be eight okay it'll sub 15 minutes and so i did it and it was um it was awful that does sound awful. I'm, John, I, I don't know who took the picture, but it was this was we were occluding during Jack Street. And remember, we were fucking we had we were doing weighted walking lunges and uh, I think sled drags and maybe the bike. And there is a picture of me in like literally I remember pure the photo. agony, just like uh, I think I was wearing like a hoodie up yeah, or something. Ho- hoodie yeah. and sweatpants. And just dude, that was that was one of the worst training days that I can remember in re- like the occlusion shit will fucking smash yeah. you right um armadillos are up there for me like it wow. those are really yeah those are some of the i have to get my mind right to really fucking uh, really dig into that who, shit. Who, um where were we oh i'm trying to think of when where we were recently where we were working with people and they were doing armadillos really badly uh nsw was it nsw yes yeah like really bad. Oh no! And then our block one. Yeah, it was at the block. Yeah, at the block one where I fucking about lost my mind because none of those mm-hmm. dudes could do it. Uh, so the the armadillos are really shitty. I'll tell you this. Uh, I'm going to take you back to uh, old Balboa days. Uh, we were trying to do that 20 RM squat thing, and the goal was to be able to do 405 for 20. So it did like just a basic linear progression, and I got to like you know 365, 375. 385 and then I got to 495 or 395 and then it was 405 and I remember I was like thinking in my head I was like okay you know what this week I gotta do 395 next week I'm gonna do 405 and I'm gonna get this so I load up and I mentally didn't prepare for 395 the way that I should have I kind of was thinking 405 and I'll just get this done and I remember on like rep 17 all of a sudden like everything started getting dark and I remember I like fucking basically got stapled at like rep 17. And I remember at the bottom of the squat, like everything went black and uh, I kind of like dumped the bar. And this is when we had squ- those squat pillars back in the day when we used um, the Iron Mind squat pillars. And I like fell in as I threw it off my back. I fucking collapsed into the pillar and fucking like hit my head and like the pillar fell on top of me. And it was just a, I, like I was like stuck yeah, on what? this. I was like, do you, do you remember how we had all the plates lined up? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I kind of got stuck with the, uh, the squat rack between the wall and the plates. And I was stuck like a turtle and couldn't move. Oh, and no. I was like blacked out. Like it was just. And then um, I never did four or five. I was like, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, like, yeah, 20 uh, RM is no fun. Uh, yeah, three, th- 395 for 17. And uh, I just fucking was like, I'm good. I got to go my hardest. You, you asked in the gym, Pete, but I got to say the first day with Ruiz down in Tampa, in which I've already committed, found living, and just I was all in. And our first day was beach, surf, and turf. So I had to go out and swim. So we did some. It's like three mile. Was it three did, mile run or just one mile? No, it wasn't. It, this wasn't a mile run, but it was just a bunch of lunges and sprints. And I thought, oh, fuck, yeah. And then we got in the water and I hadn't swam in probably about a decade. And Raph's like, you can swim, right? Yeah. Yes, sure. Sir. Maybe I can dog paddle. So uh, I can float. I can survive, I think was my response. But uh, I could barely survive. And fucking he had to basically walk in the shallow as I was swimming to make sure that I didn't die. And he just kept reminding me, 
find a song. And my song was the Star Spangled Banner, in which I was just trying to say that as I was swimming to, to remain conscious and... It surf and turf never got any easier. God damn, I hate, uh, I hate we, swimming. We did a, a deal where we trained down in Coronado with, uh, I think it was me and Steve-O and Andy Stumpf, right? So uh, a- Andy invited us down when he was a Bud's instructor, and we went down and did, like, they had this, like, shitty place right in Coronado, but they had this nasty berm, and they used to do these things called berm sprints. So, like, up from the beach came up, and there was this berm, and the hilarious part is I think I had my dog Bear with me. And uh, so I, I brought Bear, and... We like would like run down and touch the water, and then we had to sprint up. And uh, uh, Bear was like kicking our ass. We probably did like ten of the twelve. I, I can't even remember how many we did. It could have been four. I mean, who knows? But we did them enough to where I knew it was about to stop when all of a sudden Bear sprinted to the top and just collapsed and was laying on his side, <laughs> and his tongue and his mouth were open, and he was just like sucking in sand oh, no. and, and this. And we, we got to the top, and I walked back, and he like lifted his head like uh, like you know like i'm gonna go if we do another one because he just he he would work like like bear was one of those dogs who um had so much game he would like he would continue to do it until his heart stopped sure and so like as i saw him like with his head up sand on his face sand on his tongue like look over like are we gonna do another one of these i was like i think we're done and andy was like we're good i'm like yeah bear's gonna die we gotta stop <laughs> and i remember i like had to like he wouldn't walk back to the car i had to brush him off i remember i carried him back to the car and i put him in the back sleep seat and uh, he slept the whole way and I remember Steve-O being like, this, that was awful. So the berm sprints in Coronado were pretty nasty. Um, dude, like, I'm, that hill run at the 08 games was pretty nasty. Um, I got some bad advice on that one. What else? Uh, we, did a, we did a workout, which was like 100 calories. And it was 100 calories and 100 dumbbell thrusters, uh, 100 calories on the Versa Climber. Or, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, it was 1,000 flights of stairs. So it was 100 and then 10, so it was 10 and, and 100 for 10 rounds on the Versa. I did a deal which was five rounds, five bench press, five squats, uh, 495 and 405. So it ended up being, I did that sub 10, uh, sub 10 minutes. So, and I mean, who, bad, can, who <laughs> can forget Kalsu, right? Oh, yeah. Lovely yeah. old Kalsu never fucking. Yeah. yeah. That one got me every single time. Uh, I, I was well, built for that. What we never told anybody was the only way we ever, like the only way I was able to smash it was doing rack thrusters. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't do barbell thrusters with it. Like it just destroyed us, but like rack thruster, cause you could rest with the bar on your back. So we would just fucking basically clean the bar, pop it over your head and then just do like 10 rack thrusters, put it down and you could basically knock it out in 10 minutes. If you did with the five burpee buy-in five burpees, 10 rack thrusters, and you could get those 10 done in like 20 seconds. So like that was the only way. And, uh, and then I thought we were pretty good. And then that dude, Travis, uh, from Valdosta state, he was a running back. He did it in like eight minutes and everybody was like, bullshit. And they showed up to our seminar. Travis was like five, seven, two twenty five. And was Just a running back at, at Valda. And dude, all of a sudden, like we saw him more like, yeah, he's got a sub eight minute Kalsu. Uh, I, know, I know you said one more question, Luke, but yeah, I, I think we in. need to tackle this because this is uh, important. And, you know, we used to cover this in the seminar, but we got to tackle it now. So, John, here we go. This is from Peter Messer. I coach a lot of high school athletes. Some ask about implementing bands and change. I've always been under the impression the use of basics for as long as you can see progress and then start adding accommodating resistance and whatnot. Is there a training age limit on bands? 
and chains question. Well, uh, I don't use chains and bands and accommodating resistance um, like the West Side guys do. Uh, you know, Louie and the West Side guys use it pretty early, even with their novices. But the way I look at it is uh, chains and accommodating resistance end up changing the movement pattern. So yep. what eventually happens is we need to develop proficiency in the movement first. So doing a basic linear progression, becoming extremely adept and, and a master of the basic movements. And then once I master them, then I can start adding things like accommodating resistance uh, for you know the ability and really i i like to use them for our compensatory acceleration yep. we found that you know being able to uh drive and continue to accelerate after mechanical advantage increases you know is heightened with the bands and the chains and ironically uh it was dr fred hatfield who told me that they had done extensive research with compensatory acceleration using chains and bands um and you know, and then what I know from, you know, training with the West Side guys, and I just always remember the comment that chains make you brutally strong and bands make you fast. So uh, I always thought about the idea like I that, you know, that's why I was never too romanced with the bands as much as I like the chains. So if you, you know, I, speed is something I always had, yep. but I always figured brutal strength is something that I would want on tap. Like the type of brutal strength where you can like chew a hole in the bar, you know, like when you watch a guy like, um, you know, like a guy like Dan Green, you watch Dan Green, like, you know, he just hurt himself again. But before he got hurt, uh, man, like watching that dude pull the bar and how he would squat and like drive out and like literally it looked like he was trying to break the bar as he was lifting. Like that's that brutal strength. And we can't step over what you said to establish and master the movement pattern. So the program like Bedrock, and we even build compensatory acceleration into that program after your first reset. So well, 10 weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, compensatory acceleration is the theory, you know, first brought up by Dr. Fred Hatfield, you know, who's since passed away. But the idea of is as mechanical advantage increases, you have to work to keep accelerating the bar. And, you know, if you can squat 500, you squat 135, like you got 500 and you always put max acceleration into the bar at every set. Now... Uh, that was taught to me very, very young by George Nangus. You know, talked about his good friend, George or uh, Doc Hatfield, and the idea of basically moving the bar as fast as you can at all times. So, I mean, I, I think that was something that I learned a long time ago, and we teach for all of our young guys. Like, I want you to move the bar as fast as you can. The problem becomes... Uh, if technique is your limiting factor, it becomes very hard to replicate it. So we have to make sure that the technique is sound and that everybody's moving well, and then we'll start moving into compensatory acceleration. And I guess the limit there by adding chains or bands too early is you affect your your movement pattern, yeah. which then would affect your speed, which then we set ourselves up and we can't reach that big base level of strength. Uh, the chains and the bands for beginners in terms of like box squatting, is uh, an easier play. The reason being is sitting down on the box. Once you develop your technique, it becomes uh, very easy or let's say easier than a free squat to make sure like, hey, uh, this is my setup. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to hit the box. I'm going to rock it up. So I think for uh, people doing box squats, using accommodating resistance earlier, uh, I think can be done because maybe the mastery of the technique uh, is not as... Um, you know, what's the right word? I just say that like uh, the free squat is a more technical movement than the box squat. And well, I'm, 
worked with many in high school and I'm trying to think of limiting factors for a box squat and then teaching that technique kids would relax kids would yeah. bounce their ass off they would bounce off the box they would so drop back it a just lot, I wouldn't default there there's a lot of technique involved in that movement as well yeah. I would say hey once, I'll just go one with, full semester no yeah. bands or change I'll just go with what Jim Wendler said uh, a a a free squatter will always be stronger than a box squatter and uh, you know and using chains and bands too early will, will adversely affect um, your ability to, to get strong. Yeah, long-term trainability. All right, folks, I, I guess... I think that's a wrap. We have wrapped it up, crew episode, and this is pre-Egg Fest, so I'm just giving you some foreshadowing. This weekend, yeah, we are so, heading to Texas Egg Fest. John, what is this? So uh, last year, a uh, buddy of, of mine, uh, a guy named Richard Holcomb, uh, hit me up and said, hey, there's this deal here in Dripping Springs called Egg Fest. And it's also the same weekend as Founders Day in Dripping Springs, which is another good deal. And being an avid user of the Big Green Egg, Anything that has the Big Green Egg Fest deal, and we got online, bought tickets, and it's like all you can drink, all you can eat. And so, uh, you know, I was going to take the kids. Uh, Luke was kind of putzing around, and I was like, hey, you want to come with us? He's like, oh, I don't know. I actually got to do this. So it was him and Han, and I was like, just show the fuck up. Say yes. So I drug him with me. We showed up, and it was like a 100 uh, stands of people that all had Big Green Eggs, that all cooked, and it was like a competition, kind of a big cook-off. There was free booze, and we went like 10 in the morning. We were smashed by noon, and then Luke went home and slept, and I had to go to a uh, swim meet with my kids. <laughs> so uh, great time. We're going to go. So it should be also good. And then also uh, pretty excited because Eric Church is this weekend. Ooh. So I, got, I bought tickets back in 2017, and then that big hurricane in Houston hit that weekend, and he postponed it until the end of April. So uh, I'm pretty excited getting that. Eric Church is by far one of my favorites at this point in terms of country music, and uh, I'm super excited to go. Action-packed. Yeah. All right. That That's is it. a wrap in the premiere podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. A lot of what we chatted about is explained in detail in the Power Athlete Academy program. Yeah, you can just regurgitate what you've heard us say or what other coaches have said, or you can challenge yourself to understand the methodology and its whys on a deeper level. Even if your goal is to prove us wrong, start your engine by heading to academy.powerathletehq.com and enroll in the Power Athlete Academy. Until next time, bye!